What is up? Hello there. My name is Jessica Patching Bunch. You can call me JPB. And this is Brain Body Resilience. This is a podcast dedicated to growth, human development, and stressing a little bit less so you can go ahead and live a little bit more. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Brain Body Resilience. I want to talk about why I chose Brain Body Resilience and why that is my focus. Number one, because mind-body things are super common. Brain-body is less common, so I wanted that. But also, I started studying the brain in my undergrad. I found neuroscience in a random class I took that was not, I didn't think was about neuroscience and I got really nervous when I found out it was neuroscience because I had lived a really long time going through school thinking that I was not good at science. I was scared of science and so I avoided it like the plague. But I stumbled on this class called Perception and Perception is incredibly fascinating to me because our perception is based solely on our own lived experiences that we have had and formulated our lens through which we see the world. Our perspective, our perception of things is based on that. And so I was like, hey, this is sounds like an awesome class. I'm going to take this. And my first day at that class, I got there and they introduced the class and they said, welcome to the neuroscience of sensation perception. And I was terrified. I was like, what the hell am I doing here? Uh, I don't think this is where I should be. I didn't think I was going to be good at it, Um, but I stayed. I loved it. I was very good at it. It made so much sense to me and learning about the way that our brain functions physiology there, neurobiology, what makes us up, what makes us human beings, how we work. I fell in love with learning about that and I never looked back. So that is why brain body. But let's talk about that connection, the mind body, brain body connection. And you know, there are some arguments that your mind is more than just the hard wired biological underpinnings of your brain working And I will agree with that, but I am going to use those terms interchangeably in this episode, mind and brain. So here we go. I am fascinated by the connection we have between our mind or brain and our body. And I have been ever since I was a child in gymnastics, because I would see the higher level um, competitive gymnasts doing their routines and doing these incredible skills and making their bodies fly through the air and, you know, twist around or like double backflips or, um, I don't know, even just like a layout full, anything where you're flying through the air, spinning around. And I would just look and think, according to gravity, like the, okay, so, so these people are flying. That was what I was thinking. Like you're flying, you are flying through the air. And according to gravity, we're not supposed to be able to do that. So that's interesting to me. Um, How do you do that? And then as I went further along in gymnastics, I learned to visualize all of my tumbling passes or vault um, passes before any of the routines, actually. Just you you visualize what you're going to do ahead of time um, and visualize it the way that you want it to be. And I thought that was really interesting because then when you would get into your head in a negative space and visualizing a fall or a miss almost 
without fail, you were going to fall or miss. And so that connection really stood out to me at that time. And I didn't have the understanding or the education or the vocabulary. I didn't, I didn't have the, the ability to grasp what was going on there, but it caught my attention and, and it stuck with me. And as I have learned our mind-body connection that I'm talking about here, it refers to the interaction between our body and our mind and how they affect each other. And that makes sense to me. Why wouldn't they? But until recent decades, Western cultures have not adhered to that um, that uh, thought process. It was around the 17th century, actually, when Western cultures began to consider mind and body separately. Due to Cartesian dualism, science and medicine also followed in this idea until the 20th. 20th century, so that is not long ago, um, when Western cultures began to reconsider the practices and teachings of ancient cultures and modern technology has confirmed that things like neuroimaging, MRI studies on breathing and things of that nature, more and more studies are coming out to circle back around and revisit. We're not discovering anything here. This is just a revisit of things that people have known for thousands of years and been practicing accordingly. And now we're kind of jumping back on board with modern science and technology and saying, oh yeah, I think there is something to this. (laughs) And so um, just a quick example of what, what this is would be our breath and the way that our breath, our focused, intentional breathing controls our nervous system and can switch it from the sympathetic nervous system, which is that fight or flight kind of red alarm system to the parasympathetic system, which is the rest and digest, relax, calming system. And just by breathing in a certain way, which takes intentional, controlled, conscious focus, we are able to tap in and kind of flip the switch on our nervous system and to literally change the state of our being and our mood and how we are feeling inside of our body. Um, which I think is just the the coolest thing ever that we have that power and control available to us. The part is, do we use it? Because if you have a bunch of tools and they're just sitting in your toolbox and you're never using them, they're not helpful. So that is also a conscious choice we make. We all make decisions. Something else that I find really interesting is the fact that psychosomatic illnesses or conditions are are recognized now at a much higher rate because of, again, revisiting the idea that our mind and body are connected and they do affect one another. But in very recent previous decades, there was kind of this idea that you were just, oh, it's, it's all in your head was what people were told. And so with psychosomatic, which psycho comes from the mind, psyche, and body, soma, psychosomatic, and that just in fact just affects both the mind and the body, specifically things like stress and anxiety um, are made worse by mental factors that affect the body. So, for example, when I was a young 
person. I had an experience like this. My mother had a condition called pseudotumor cerebri. And at that point, she was told it was like one in a thousand case. No, we had to see. And then she saw, I don't know, it was like four or five different specialists before we could find anyone that was even familiar with the condition to be able to help her. She almost died. Um, From my recollection, that's how the story is also told. I was about seven and there were other things that my focus was on. And so memory also is faulty, but that's how I remember it. Um, And so it was it was incredibly serious. She she almost passed away from this pseudotumor tumor cerebri. And what it is is your brain is treating. It's an autoimmune thing, and it is your brain is treating a non-existent brain tumor. And she had an increase in cerebrospinal fluid building up behind her um, in her ocular cavity, behind her eyeballs, and creating a lot of pressure on her frontal lobe. So they had to go in and drain that fluid, and before she found that specialist who finally was able to recognize that she did have symptoms of something, a condition that needed to be addressed with some urgency, she was told by all of the other practitioners that she saw that basically it was all in her head and that her symptoms were just in her head and she just needed to think more positive. And she was telling them, like, I'm having these, these migraine headaches. I am so fatigued. I can't even screw in a light bulb above my head. I am unable to function during my day. And this came on fairly rapidly and I don't understand what's going on. And their answer to her was just go home and rest. We can't find anything wrong. And, uh, you know, just, it's all in your head. And what a bunch of shit that is. Can you imagine going to see a physician who we've been taught to place so much trust in and, and place all of our, to place our lives in their hands. And you know that something is not right. You're listening to your body. And even if you're not that in tune with your body and attuned to listening to your intuition or, or your feelings, any of that, suddenly you are unable to have the strength to reach above your head for any amount of time. You're having consistent migraine headaches and you cannot function in your day. Something is wrong. And you're told, no, you're fine. Go home. That's crushing. And it's also devastating because a lot of people may not find that specialist who knows about the thing who believes them. And so my point with all of this is that... It is fantastic that we are coming to a point, and we have come to a point, it's been a couple of decades now, um, that this research has been really ramping up, that neuroscience research has been real hot, and um, kind of on the front line of things. And so it's really great that the, you know, modern science and medical communities are jumping on board again. But it does bring up the question and the concern of when you place all of the power in the hands of someone else in the way of being a patient who is just taking advice and not being proactive, being a participant in your healthcare experience, in your life, really, being a participant allows for that autonomy, allows for you to take charge where you can to educate yourself about the practices that are going to aid in your health, about the things available to you in your everyday that can help aid in elevating your 
lifestyle and your health and your ability to live in a way that creates a lifestyle that you are looking for. And that includes finding the tools, being aware of having the education about the tools that we have available to us at every moment because they are within us. Things like meditation and breathing and journaling and cognitive reframing and all of these tools that we have to create our experience, to curate our days, if you will. They are incredibly simple, which I think makes a lot of people kind of overlook them and feel like it's it's maybe too good to be true or it's too simple to be effective because we have this idea that we have to complicate things in order for it to be effective. Something incredibly simple can be the most not only effective but efficient because it's not complicated, such as breathing like I talked about earlier. So I guess that's it. I'm going to wrap it up. But something just to kind of sit with and consider is that idea of being a participant in your own life. That is what I want to encourage. That is what I have found in my own life to be just such an incredible lesson that I have learned in the years now that I have been working to have more development and more autonomy over my life and not understanding why I wasn't in that point beforehand. And later on, I will share more of the more of my life stories with you because I think that they definitely highlight why I have the perspective that I do and also why I know some of the things that I do and um, kind of what's led me here. But my takeaway for today, your takeaway for today, our takeaway for today, practice being a participant in your life with your health, in all other areas, participate. That's what it takes to create the life that you want to create and to activate those healthy patterns and create the habits that you want to have. So choose to participate in your life. That's it for today. I am incredibly grateful for your time, for you being here to listen. If you feel so inclined, head over to wherever you are listening to this and rate, leave a comment, have some interaction. I would love that. And until next time, peace out.